you are now listening to a brand new episode of Starfleet Escape Podcast, only on the Four-Eyed Radio Network, also known as the Starfleet Escape Podcast. Prepare for launch in three, two, one. Enjoy the ride. Welcome to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four Eyed Radio Network, where we escape into the Star Trek universe. This is episode number 31 and is being recorded on November 7th, 2013. Today's topic the United Federation of Planets. I'm Eric. I'm Marty. And I'm Aaron. This episode is brought to you by America Joy Print Shop, official sponsor of the Four Eyed Radio Network. For high quality business cards, flyers, banners, cut vinyl, and more, visit AmericaJoy.com. How are you guys doing? Very good. You guys are busy. Yes. A tad bit. <laughs> We're moving. Of yeah. Not to the same place. Not together. No. But at the same time. We used to broadcast, what, a mile away from each other? Uh, about, yeah. Maybe a mile and a half. Now yeah. we're 35 miles apart. That's sad. <laughs> and Eric is... Hundreds of miles <laughs> away. But that didn't change. <laughs> yeah, I'll always be 100 miles away. So Or hundreds. I don't know, I thousands? Like I, don't know. I, don't, I don't know. I don't know. I don't do math. Boston to Chicago. Whatever that is. Indeed. Anything else going on with you guys? Uh, Red Sox won the uh, World Series. Congratulations. Mm-hmm. It makes up for uh, Chicago <laughs> kicking your ass in uh, hockey last year. Yeah, yeah that's, that's that again, huh? Whoa, bleep. Oh, excuse me. You gotta start <laughs> that stuff again, huh? So let's get into the news. First off, Paul McCartney has a new music video that features Star Trek Into Darkness stars Chris Pine and Alice Eve. So Paul McCartney's... <laughs> Still getting by with a little help from his friends. The Beatles legend just released his latest album, New, and a video for the song Queenie Eye. The video features McCartney at a piano in England's legendary Abbey Road studio. Multiple celebrities appear in the video, including Chris Pine and Alice Eve, Star Trek's current Captain Kirk, and Dr. Carol Marcus. In the making of video, McCartney tells Pine to stop being so tall during a photo shoot. That's hitting below the belt. <laughs> it's actually a pretty cool video. I like how they did it, and it sounds really but good. But Queenie Eye? They talk about... Paul McCartney in the making of video talks about where that phrase came from. It was actually a childhood game that they played where someone would turn their back to everyone else, Mm -hmm. and there was some kind of rhyme, and they had to guess who was the queenie eye. I don't know. I guess it's something. It's a British thing. Yeah. We we should ask Clive to see if he's ever played this queenie eye game. Uh, So this next bit seems interesting. Star Trek Tricorder Trickery. A con man duped a company out of... $800,000 $800,000 with a fake device inspired by Dr. McCoy's medical tool, authorities say. Prosecutors in Brooklyn have accused Howard Leventhal of signing a fraudulent deal with Canada's Department of Health for Healthios. Uh, That's his uh, fake company. McCoy Home Health Tablet. <laughs> <laughs> Brooklyn prosecutors charged the fraudster with conning a company out of 
$800,000 by pitching a healthcare device modeled after Dr. Bones McCoy's tricorder on Star Trek. I will tell you this. That tricorder will work way before the healthcare website will. <laughs> hey yo. Uh, hi But this is for Canada, so... They even have healthcare. No, no. Here's the thing. This Howard Leventhal guy, yeah. the yeah. Chicago native, he, uh. was, he duped Canada into giving him money. <laughs> the Department of Health. <laughs> so, I mean, we've talked about these tricorder XPRIZE projects in, in the past. Yeah. And that's a lot of money. It is, but... It is. If it worked, early, it would be well worth the money. Yeah. Leventhal's device instantly and effectively deliver patient data to physicians and healthcare providers, according to the complaint unsealed in Brooklyn Federal Court. In reality, his scheme was pure science fiction, complete with phony documents and a fictional medical device. Leventhal even created an alternate reality, Lynch noted by impersonating... Canadian government officials and fabricating <laughs> bank documents falsely showing more than 10 million in payments from Health Canada to another Leventhal Enterprise last spring. Wow. Well, yeah, this guy's in deep trouble. Yeah. Well, in Canada, it's only like seven days in jail. <laughs> well. Or a fine of $200,000, which in American is about $75. Anyways, um... <laughs> That's not there, true there, anymore, by the yeah, way. Yeah, that's not true say. anymore. But <laughs> could you believe somebody actually pulling this off on a federal government? Uh, man, I can see someone. I mean, um, what? Well, it wasn't though. No, I could see this happening, but maybe you've gotten caught earlier. Yeah, before the eight hundred thousand dollars were transferred. Well, I mean, I I don't see them paying it all in one lump sum. You know what I mean? <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure it wasn't all eight hundred thousand dollars that they that they gave him. I hope not. All at e once. Either way, he's uh, pretty screwed. Well, I mean, it seems like they were convinced if he was faking, you know, Canadian health officials and fake yeah. bank documents. Yeah. With That's... another thing that he was trying to say that he was doing with them. Yeah, it's. It's weird. almost like the left hand's not talking to the right hand. NASA says we won't need Star Trek style warp drive to get to the stars. You just have to go to Los Angeles. Anyways, no, um, interstellar travel needs to be a generational project with ships the size of skyscrapers capable of sustaining whole communities. We don't need warp drive or wormholes to reach the stars. We just need to use the known laws of physics and think big, says Les Johnson of NASA's Advanced Concepts Office. Johnson's suggestions included a solar sail the size of Nevada. <laughs> Damn. Yeah, that's doable. And spaceships where generations would live and die on huge craft traveling between star systems. If our spacecraft could travel at 10% the speed of light, which currently isn't possible, it would take 44 years to get to our nearest star, he said. Such big ideas weren't unknown in history. Generations lived and died building the pyramids or some of Europe's great cathedrals. Discussing the idea of solar sails where huge sheets would propel using energy from the stars. You'll need a sail the size of Nevada with a laser that has the energy output equivalent to the energy of the human race today. NASA already has plans for a deep space solar sail mission, Sun Jammer, planned for this decade. 
Now, solar sail is a huge thing in Star Trek. There's a great episode where Ben Sisko built a solar mm-hmm. sail, a Bajoran solar Bajoran, sail. Bajoran, ancient Bajoran solar sail, yeah. And he proved that it worked. Yep. But that also went faster than light. Yes. <laughs> Due even, to Star Trek science magic. Yeah. Re- read that thing, though. Again, it says 10% is 25,000 miles per second. Yeah, we Think don't. Think about how fast that is. <laughs> it's fast. It's 26,000 miles per second. <laughs> that's almost once around the Earth in one second. Yeah, that's insane. Yeah. But then we'd also, not only would we need a solar sail the size of Nevada, we need a laser that can output Mm -hmm. the total human energy output that we have now. That's insane. Yeah. Clearly a little bit out of our reach. Yeah, I I remember watching some documentary, and one idea was to focus the sun and use that to generate the thrust mm-hmm. on the sail. I, I don't know how... It's using the photons from the sun yeah. to catch them and propel. Yeah, I, I, just don't, I just don't know how feasible that would be either. But that's more likely than us creating a laser that has the output of our whole human race. But see, once, once you're out of the range of our solar system, you're still going to need some kind of energy to push the solar sail. Mm-hmm. So that's why they need the laser. It's All right, right. Yeah. But insane. think about a sail the size of Nevada. I can't even imagine... One, how do you build it? Two, you'd have to do it in space. Three, where can you find stuff like that at this time of night? I mean, come on. <laughs> Walgreens. They have everything. Um. <laughs> I still say we should invest in pursuing warp technology or even wormhole technology. Good luck. Well, I think... This researcher's point was this might be easier than that. Oh, it would be easier. There's a a giggle factor when uh, physicists. A giggle factor. A giggle factor? Yeah, when physicists. This whole podcast is a (laughs) giggle factor. When when physicists start talking about warp drive and fast and light propulsion systems, Mm -hmm. uh, because they don't think it's possible. So everyone. That's why there's only a handful. Nobody thought you could break the speed of sound. Right, but that's why there's only a handful of uh, physicists actually working on breaking the speed of light. barrier. Yeah. Here's what I would say. Do it in increments. Let's start working towards a tenth of the speed of light, like they said in that. Mm-hmm. And who knows? Technology might catch up where in 100 years we can have warp drive. But we're not going to. I don't think we're going to see it. Oh, we may. No, no. We may. I mean, we may be very old, but we may. But Well, if we go by a Star Trek's timeline... It's soon. It's it's soon, yeah. Like fifty years from now. Yeah. Still, even if we do it in fifty years, I'm gonna be eighty-one. So, God. That's right. (laughs) (laughs) We will be old. Damn. Damn it. I will be. Yeah, I will be eighty-five years old. So hopefully, our children, our (laughs) children's children, can (laughs) reap the benefits of it. Just to throw this in, I don't know if you had this on the news, but did you hear about what Gaga's gonna do? Yeah, performance space. Oh, God. Yeah, she's going to be the first musical performer to perform in space. Well, good luck with that. I hope they live her. No, just kidding. <laughs> and, and also, the Olympic torch is Go being sent space. up to the International Space Station. It's not lit. 
Yeah, I was going to say. Yeah, it's not lit. <laughs> well, they, they, can, <laughs> they can light it when they send it in for reentry. That's how they'll light it, and they'll have someone like with a baseball glove. And yeah, right. right. And it I goes got right it. through them. I got it. About well, 70 feet down. Good. Mm-hmm. I got it. <laughs> Do you know how proud Bill was? You should have seen the look on his eyes. Yeah, that was pure fright. That's what it was. <laughs> Next up, we have a special report from Eric Dewey of the Four-Eyed Radio Network on the Star Trek exhibition. Hey everybody, Eric here from Socially Awkward Studios and Her Majesty's Secret Podcast right here on the Four-Eyed Radio Network. Um, I'm transmitting via subspace channels to you guys here on the Starfleet Escape Podcast today to talk a little bit about something I got to experience here in Phoenix at the Arizona State Fair just a couple weekends ago. Uh, It was the Star Trek The Exhibition. It's a a traveling museum exhibition exhibit of Star Trek items and memorabilia. It's really, really cool stuff. A lot of actual props used in the films and television series. It's uh, a lot of great presentations of different uh, of timelines and things like that of the different series. Uh, really fun stuff. And the one that I saw, they, they actually have this split up into two tours that they do. Um, and the tour that I witnessed, uh, the one that I got to take a walk through, uh, they actually had the original TOS bridge set up and they have it all set up so you can go sit in the captain's chair and get your picture taken and stuff like that. Uh, it's really cool. Uh, they also had a lot of costumes from the different series and movies. They had uh, several of Kirk's costumes from the various movies. Uh, they had a, an original Picard costume, one of the first jumpsuits that he wore in the first season of The Next Generation. Uh, just some really fun stuff to look at. They had Data's head uh, from Time Zero. Uh, which was very cool to see. Um, they also had uh, a mock-up of the engineering bay for Next Generation and the sick bay from uh, Deep Space Nine, actually. Or not Deep Space Nine, I'm sorry, from uh, Voyager, which was really cool. Um, unfortunately, you couldn't walk around in those. They, they had them blocked off. It was just reviewing. And the other thing that really stunk about it, this is my one big gripe from Star Trek The Exhibition. If you guys are listening, Star Trek The Experience people, I'm going to tell you this right now. Your no-photo policy stinks. It's really dumb. They, they don't allow you to take any photographs whatsoever throughout the entirety of the thing, which I can understand in certain points. They don't want you taking pictures simply because they're trying to sell you pictures. Uh, like the bridge setup. You sit in the captain's chair, they take your picture, they try to sell you that picture. Okay, I get that. They don't want you to take your own, cut them out, they don't get to make any money. That's fine. But they only take pictures in two spots. When you first walk in the door, they have a green screen set up. They take your picture against it, and then you can get your picture printed out with a bunch of different Star Trek backgrounds behind it. And Okay, that's fun and everything, but uh, I've got Photoshop. I don't need you to do, to do that for me. Now, the, the bridge setup was really cool because you could actually sit at the bridge. You could pose. You could do whatever you want, get a high-quality picture taken. That I may have been willing to do had it not been so chintzy that I couldn't take pictures of anything else. They had a lot of cool stuff that I just wanted to take a quick picture of, not even with me, just take a picture of it, maybe post it on the website, talk about it, you know, that sort of thing. But alas, they did not want to allow that. In fact, every time I even pulled my phone out once because I got a text message and immediately like three employees were staring me down, giving me the evil eye to make sure I wasn't taking a picture of something. I mean, they were really, really strict about that. So if you're able to get into one of these things and you're able to to get away from the employees and get some pictures, uh, definitely send them my way. You you can email me at eric at uh, foreheadradio.com so I could put together a post on our website for it. Um, 
If this comes around anywhere near you, I highly recommend checking it out because it is really just a fun experience. It was not too expensive. I mean, I had to pay my fair admission and it was another $5 to go into the exhibition, but it was well worth it for all the stuff I got to see. It was very, very interesting to see some of the original props, some of the stuff up close that, um, you know, you don't normally see except from the other side of a television screen or the other side of a movie screen. Really interesting to see. They also had several exhibits set up where they had the uh, props from different series lined up next to each other so you could see the difference between them. Uh, For example, they had a tricorder display set up where they had all the different tricorders. They had an original one from the original series. They had one from the new movies. They had Next Generation tricorder and a Next Generation medical tricorder. Just very, very interesting to see not only the differences, but the similarities between those things and see where they took designs and tried to modernize them for the higher, you know, for for the series that were set further down in the future. Just very, very fun, very entertaining. Highly recommend if you get a chance to go to one of these exhibitions. Like I said, they travel around, they go with fairs, they go with different things like this. And uh, if you get a chance, go check it out. Um, Now back to you guys over in the escape pod. See you later. Moving on. Would you guys buy this? Yeah. I I would, I would also buy it. And what we are talking about is the Star Trek next generation uniform hoodie. So it is the next generation uniform top as a hoodie, where you can choose between Command Red, Blue Science, or Gold Operations. And it's available from ThinkGeek for $60. So I would totally buy this, and I'm thinking... I would buy it it just because you get to say the next generation uniform hoodie. Yes. You have to say the whole thing to make it sound official. (laughs) the word hoodie on anything, I'll buy it. Yeah, this is an awesome product. I would totally buy it. It's better than those pajamas we talked about. Mm-hmm. Oh, yeah. I would wear the hell out of this. Actually, the robe was terrible. These these I like. <laughs> these are nice. These are nice. So which <laughs> color would you guys get? I'd do the blue. I'd go command. Of course you would. I would go gold. So we have a full we have a full team here. Uh-huh. Oh, true that. And what I love about it is, if you notice, they they kept true to the original colors. Because if you notice, sometimes when you see the blue, it isn't that aqua blue, it's that darker blue. And that's really the original color from the next generation. Yeah, that more teal color. Yeah. I like how it has the piping around the hood. See, I would have kept the piping, but I would have kept the piping around here, because you you can see where there's a place to do that. Well, around the, like, the, the neck? Yeah. Instead of around the hood. Yeah. Well, I like because when the hood's down, it simulates yeah. the neck. Yeah, kind of. Yeah. And I've seen they have more pictures on their website, and they have it where the hood is actually up, mm-hmm. and even with it up and the piping going around th- your face like that, mm-hmm. it actually looks really cool. That's good. So it doesn't look out of place. Plus, you could totally add like a com badge to this mm-hmm. and yeah, really was, geek out. Yeah. yeah, I was gonna say. I wonder why they didn't include a com badge. That's easy enough to put the metal one on. Yeah, yeah with with the magnets. Yeah, right. And I hate it when they do embroidery. Yeah, I wouldn't right. want that on there. I wouldn't want a screen printer. That would be nice if they had a package where you could buy one with the com badge if you didn't already have mm. one. Mm-hmm. Mm. That'd be nice. What, what about like a like a sewn-in patch? See, I if I'm gonna wear one of these, I would like to have a real metal communicator. Me too. I see. I mean, let's let's go for authentic. Yeah. <laughs> All right. If I'm gonna wear a Star Trek hoodie. Speaking of which, when you, make up, as authentic yeah, as possible. when you brought up the whole uh, bathrobe thing, the only bathrobe that I could see working for Star Trek, and anybody can take this idea out there, go ahead, 
is if they made remember Spock's um suit he had on yeah the rope the thing from four oh yeah, yeah that yeah. could work it's already have a method. black and white yeah well the Vulcans wear robes all the time they're the Jedi of the Star Trek universe no they're not <laughs> <laughs> not even close no they do not have magic space powers they're they telepathic. The thing they can do they is can um, neck pinch you. The neck pinch. That's not a and power. The telepathic thing is only. How's that not power? How's that not power? <laughs> it's not like I a superhero. They're aliens. The Vulcan neck pinch. No, no, no. You're too far over. That's their natural ability. <laughs> Anyways, <laughs> totally recommended by the Starfleet. This is Escape a three Delta shield up. Ooh, I like that. Three yeah, Delta up. shields. Captain, engage. How many <laughs> Delta Shields? My Delta Shield is fully extended. Anyways, um... Oh, uh, whoa. <laughs> so, moving <laughs> on. Uh, I picked this topic because ooh. a couple weeks ago we were still in the financial and government shutdown crisis. So, I figured... Like we're out of that. We're not, but, you know, here we are. And I figured we could talk about one of Star Trek's great political powers, the United Federation of Planets. Hell yeah. Hells yeah. Because, let's face it, the United Federation of Planets is everywhere in Star Trek. Right. So, what is the United Federation of Planets? The Federation is an interstellar federal republic composed of planetary governments that agreed to exist semi-autonomously under a single central government based on the principles of universal liberty, rights, and equality, and to share their knowledge and resources in peaceful cooperation and space exploration. The Federation is located in the Alpha and Beta quadrants of the Milky Way, and by the 2370s, the Federation's territory was spread across 8,000 light years, with a membership of over 150 worlds and over 1,000 semi-autonomous colonies. That's a lot, lot more colonies than I had expected. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Well, if you think about all of the human colonies that happen, mm -hmm. and we yeah, Federation ones. Yeah, and we've got we got some mentioned in Enterprise which was kind of nice. And who knows? I mean, there's probably, of those 150 worlds, they probably have their own colonies, which were absorbed into the Federation. So, yeah, sure. that's, a lot, that's a lot of planets. Indeed. So the exact nature of the government of the Federation has never been made clear on screen. From information available through the episodes from various producers, the United Federation of Planets would appear to be a constitutional representative republic, similar to that of the United States prior to the 1860s. The exact division of powers between the Federation government and its governments of its member worlds is unknown. Though various episodes indicate Federation place great value on maintaining local sovereignty over local affairs, and member worlds were left to manage their own governance in accordance with their traditions and local laws, so long as the general requirements of membership were met, mm -hmm. similar to how the European Union is bound together today. Obviously, the show was written originally in the 60s, and then as it grew on, I, I, the only thing I can think of is the UN. Yeah, and when I was coming up with a draft for the show notes, mm -hmm. that was one of my notes. So I'm like, this is kind of like basically an intergalactic UN. The only difference is, is that the Federation actually has powers. Right. A military that can actually do things and enforce things. 
So, creation, beginnings in enterprise, and the founding members. The Federation was founded in San Francisco, Earth, in 2161. The seeds of the Federation were planted during a temporary alliance in 2154 in the search for a Romulan drone ship. That was a good episode. That was a great Uh, episode. It was this that first brought together the four species that would found the Federation. Humans, Vulcans, Andorians, and Tellarites. Oh my. (laughs) (laughs) The episode Enterprise United. After the crisis, these four species remained together, founding the precursor to the Federation, called the Coalition of Planets a year later. Other species soon joined. Over the next several years, the ties between the members of the coalition straightened and became more structured until finally, in 2161, the coalition became the Federation. After the much devastating uh, Romulan War. Which I hope we get to see in Enterprise's fifth season on Netflix, hopefully. Plug. <laughs> yeah, join join the campaign, you guys. Join the campaign. A uh, little side note, really quick. Okay. Did you see Marvel is starting uh, some TV shows with Netflix? Yes, they are. And not not just yeah. one TV show, four of them. Really? Yeah. Which and ones? oh god, there's going to be a Daredevil show and a few of the other Marvel heroes that are in New York. They're all going to come together this one series, and eventually the series will build up to another movie, similar to The Avengers. Which is pretty awesome. Yeah, I'm so excited for it. Yeah, I mean, if that does well, hopefully... Yeah, and the Enterprise on Netflix campaign, which is on Facebook, they're actually starting to ramp up the next stage of the campaign with a letter-writing campaign to Netflix. So nice. you can search for the Enterprise fifth season on Facebook and find out details on how you can help. Netflix, here's a question. Why don't they just write UPN? Oh, wait a minute. Oh. Ooh. Ouch. Too soon. <laughs> too, too soon? Too soon? Too soon. <laughs> too soon, like ten years later. Too yeah. soon. Too soon? According to several background sources, including Starfleet Technical Manual, Star Trek, Star Charts, it's Federation Day, a newspaper article created as background material for Star Trek Generations, and the novel Articles of the Federation, the independent Alpha Centauri colony was the fifth original founding member of the Federation. But they were stuck on Babylon 5, so that didn't happen. (laughs) No. Oh, a nice old tie-in. That's mm-hmm. nice. The president of the UFP or the UFP. Uh, yeah, the UFP. <laughs> the executive branch was responsible for the day-to-day management of the Federation. The democratically elected Federation president was the head of this branch. The Federation president served as both the head of state and the head of government. As the chief executive officer of the government, the president determined most of the Federation foreign policy managed budgetary concerns, and served as supreme commander of the Federation's military forces. The president's office was located in the Earth city of Paris on the European continent. The Federation cabinet was a special executive committee to the president of the United Federation of Planets. The council. The Federation council was the legislative branch of the United Federation of Planets. Seats on the council were filled by representatives from various Federation members. In 2286, the council convened in San Francisco. 
the makeup and location of the council is somewhat vague and open to interpretation based upon canonical evidence. However, based solely upon on-screen evidence, the council appears to be a unicameral legislature. In government unicameralism, Latin uni meaning one, and camera meaning chamber, which consists of only one chamber or house. Unicameral legislatures typically exist in small and homogeneous unitary states where a second chamber is considered unnecessary. Membership in the council was considered an incredible honor. Pau of Volhin was the only person to have refused a seat on the council as of 2267 from the original series, A Mock Time. Good episode. Great episode. Jonathan Archer served on the Federation Council representing United Earth from 2175 to 2183 before being elected president in 2184. Here's a question. Is Earth, the government of Earth, the United Earth? Yes. Yes. So in, in the 24th century, it's still the United Earth, like separate There's, from... Yeah, and there like is... Like being a state in the United States. Right, and there is an Earth councilman on the Federation Council. Okay. So every world of the Federation is represented in the Federation Council. Yep. Got it. Okay. United Earth still has a United Earth government in the 24th century. Is there a United Earth president? Probably. Yes, probably. It depends on the form of government Earth has. Because it's strange. if If Earth has a parliamentary system, it will have a prime minister. Or could have a president too, but right. So some like the prime minister. Right, so some kind of figurehead there. Yeah. I just find it odd that we never see that. It's always the United Federation of Planets president. Well, we saw a little bit of it on Enterprise because yeah. there was a United Earth, mm-hmm. and there was also USPA, the United Earth Space, Space Probe Program. Agency. Right, right. And if you remember but, at the beginning of the show, it was solely the different governments dealing with each other. So really, the admirals from Starfleet, they were the military branch of really United Earth, weren't they? Yeah, Starfleet was the space military effort of United Earth originally. And then the Federation... Yeah, it adopted into the Federation. Exactly. It's kind of like the United States military is always used for UN-type things. Yeah. I, I just found it odd. Like, say... In Star Trek IV, The Undiscovered mm-hmm. Country. Not, well, wow. wow. Star Trek IV, man. The Voyage Home. <laughs> like, we see, it's only the Federation president that we see. Why isn't the Earth president? I think because... He's on Earth. What? Well, yeah, they're, they're but, all on Earth. But I think it's because we're seeing this movie, we're seeing it from the view of Starfleet. Mm-hmm. And so, since Starfleet was actively involved in this... You know, that's who we focused on in the show. That's not to say that the Earth president wasn't doing something. It's just the immediate threat of the nature. The Federation steps in. That's what I Let me put it to this way. You know, if, for instance, if there was a huge disaster, like we had 9-11, correct? Right. We did. New York York was attacked, so you would think the mayor of New York or the governor would be the first person out in front of the public, but it was the president of the United States. Yeah, so I... Same idea. That's a good point, yeah. I think that's the similar thing happened in Star Trek IV. Yeah, plus the president of the Federation lives on Earth. Their main base is on Earth. Mm Mm-hmm. 
whenever something happens to the capital, think of it as a capital city. And I think even though there were four founding members of the Federation, I think Earth still takes the front seat to the Federation Mm -hmm. because it was their involvement in the Romulan War. Yeah that brought together and what the events that we saw in Enterprise Jonathan Archer was a major proponent of that so I think by default that's why the Federation center of government is on Earth because in a way we kind of started it all there's a better reason though Eric than that (laughs) you know what that is? what's that? because it was written that way yes and because (laughs) we're and because we're humans yes (laughs) (laughs) and humans rock Moving on to the next branch of the government, the judiciary. Judici- oh, we are all having problems. <laughs> the judicial system. The judiciary. Yeah. <laughs> Responsible for resolving legal disputes, it consisted of a hierarchy of courts with the Federation Supreme Court at its apex, as seen in the episode Dr. Bashir, I presume, from Deep Space Nine. Federation courts sometimes relied on panels of citizens known as juries. The Federation grand jury heard testimony as part of a criminal investigation, while the Federation special jury tried war criminals. Alongside the civilian courts, Starfleet had its own system of court-martials. So it's the courts, man. Yeah. Speaking of which, I have jury duty in January. Uh, on Vulcan? Yeah, on Vulcan. <laughs> <laughs> I wish. <laughs> that sucks. Uh, yeah. I knock on wood, but I have never been called to jury duty. Oh, man. I was, I, I've once, been... I was called once when I was 19. Yeah. And never been called again. And somebody, I do believe it's because I've run for political office. Yeah. Oh, man, I should run for political office. But this I've... is my, like, eighth time or something. Oh, my God. <laughs> and you... I served on a jury once. This guy is a sucker. You just have bad luck, Aaron. <laughs> I guess so. Oh, man. But see, I've never run for political office, and I've never been on jury duty. Watch, tomorrow in the mail, it's going to be like, <laughs> jury duty, sucker. See, see I, got, I got it right here. Oh, oh wow. Official, wow, official government business. Yeah. Mm. One episode that I like, uh, and we've mentioned a lot that involves judicial processes uh, measure of a man that has uh, JAG officers. Yes. Yeah. Which is the only one that you know pops out in my mind when I think of the judicial system in here, Star here, Trek. Here. Also, court martial is. Oh yeah, that's right. That. But yeah, here's the right. thing I always think of, which I wish they did more of, was the courts that Q showed in the first and last episodes. Oh, the like apocalyptic. Yeah. Uh, I'd love to court. see what that was all about. That would have been cool if Enterprise did some kind of flashback to that time mm-hmm. or something. I, I don't know. The I think that would have been awesome. <laughs> Indeed. Next. Membership. Admittance into the Federation was either by invitation or successful partition of a Partition world. of a hard drive. <laughs> of a world or a civilization desirous of joining. In the second case, membership was granted only upon satisfaction of certain requirements. Firstly, the government of the prospective member submitted an official petition to the Federation Council outlining its desire to join. A thorough investigation of the prospective member's culture followed. This investigation could take several years and was done to ascertain whether or not the culture genuinely 
Genuinely. 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 Shared the values of the Federation. Values of benevolence, peaceful coexistence, and cooperation. The rule of law and equal rights and justice. For example, the discovery on the partitioning planet Angosia 3 of enhanced soldiers being unjustly and indefinitely imprisoned without uh, treatment in times of peace was considered unacceptable in Captain Jean-Luc Picard's official evaluation of the planet for the Federation, uh, TNG The Hunted. Good episode which had Cromwell in it. Yes. Oh, yeah, that's right. Who would later become Zephram Cochran. Yes, indeed. That was a good episode. Even before the investigation, the prospective member had to meet certain requirements. These were as follows. It had to have an advanced level of technology. The Federation's baseline definition of this term was the capability for fast and light space travel. Its government had to achieve stable planetary political unity, respecting the rights of the individual. No form of caste system was to be practiced. So, taking all of this into consideration, all these issues and all that, do you think the logistics of a thousand-world federation is practical, and do you think it would work? We can't even deal with 50 states. <laughs> and that's what I kind of thought when coming up with the idea for this episode. It's like, if we can't have a House and a Congress decide on freaking healthcare laws, how is the Federation of the Future going to effectively get anything done? Well, Eric, they are more enlightened in the future. I do believe, actually, that as much as you say with all these requirements and everything else, that we don't see, because we see it from the Starfleet slash UFP side of it, okay? We're not seeing how pivotal the individual planetary governments are in making this run like a state. And that's the thing, because one of those requirements, like Aaron just said, is that the planet as a whole has to have one government to begin. Mm -hmm. It has to have, like, a united Earth. And us, we're nowhere near that right now. <laughs> nowhere near. We would have to conquer... Well, first of all... We would have to conquer? We'd have to conquer... Literally, you'd have to... You'd have to... No, first of all, we'd have to have aliens come down and we all get enlightened from... Oh my god, we're not alone. Unified. Yeah, well, yeah, well, we have... <laughs> We'd have to also have gone through a vicious world war that would destroy so much that no one government could come out of it being in existence. Remember, they were almost in a... They were in post-apocalyptic, but it was also like they were thrown back 150 years. Exactly. So travel between different places wasn't like... As easy as it yeah. was. Or it is now, so that made it easier. And like you said, things you know, things like that unite and, people. And that's the thing. Like, who's not to say that these other planets had different ways of uniting and coming to that peaceful, united planet? Did they all have to have world wars to come to that, or was there other means? Mm. So you're right. I would like to see it delve deeper into other societies. I think. But you're also forgetting. There's one thing you're forgetting. That theoretically, if is one, we're not thinking of it on a, a large enough state. The United States theoretically 
can't join into another, like, it can't be under another government, theoretically. But, say the world was just a bunch of states. Like, we, we speak of countries as states, right? Mm -hmm. If we consider ourselves a state, that means we could join into a larger body, like the UN or the what was called the League of Nations. And if that took over the autonomous control of the world, then, yes, that could work. Each area could be different, but they'd be under one united government. So it could work. Moving on to our subspace channels... Our question that we posted to our social networks was, in the Star Trek universe, would you be a citizen of the Federation or another alien government, and why? On Twitter, at MindGo said, probably the Federation, because I was born on Earth and I'm too lazy to move. <laughs> Maybe if I really like the food from another race, I would move. Klingon food looks like it would be fun to try. Mingo, he's basing his political affiliations on food. Lazy. And laziness. <laughs> and laziness. Yeah, uh, well, I, I, when I was talking to him, I told him, well, Riker was able to stomach the Klingon food, but I, I don't know if I'd be able to. I wouldn't. Now, at Sci-Fi Commons said, that's a good question. I never thought about it before. The Federation seems too meddlesome. I think an independent colony would be good. I like being human. Preferably near Ryza. Well, that, that's, I think that's kind of interesting. Do you guys think that the Federation is too meddlesome? It could be. I don't know. I, I think they're fine the it, way they are. Like, I don't know what he means. Like, too meddlesome in terms of civilian life? There are people in this society that believe the United States is too meddlesome. Oh, that's true. So. Moving on to Facebook... Eric Dewey of the Four-Eyed Radio Network said, Federation for sure, although I wouldn't mind living on Rubicon 3, so long as I remember never to mess up the flowers. Yeah, that's a problem. That would be a huge problem. Oh, is that that one where they kill you? Yes. Yes, where uh, if you step on the flowers. <laughs> depending on the zone that they're monitoring. Yep. Yes. Like Wesley was going to die that episode. Damn it, Wesley. Chill him die. <laughs> I wouldn't miss him. <laughs> I'm just kidding. Just Picard kidding. wouldn't have either. <laughs> Shut up, Wesley. On Google+, Leroy H. said, The Federation is always exploring ways to better humanity and to explore possibilities not trying to further one's own personal political ambitions. People could still use politics towards their advantage. I think so, too. Yeah. I mean... I know of a lot of Earth countries that tried to use bettering humanity, quote-unquote. That's pretty much every politician. Thing. Yeah. No, I'm thinking the big sides, like, oh, make a better Germany, make a better Japan, make a better Russia. Indeed. Yes. Moving on. James Brazil said, to be fair, just as now mostly this would be an accident of birth with rare exceptions such as Worf, if you were born on Romulus, you would be of that mindset as you would be indoctrinated from birth. Same could be said of Klingons, Vulcans, and humans. I think you would try to ally yourself with one that is closest to your values and beliefs such that it would protect you and your planet's interests. You would still be governed by your upbringing. Hypothetically, all else being neutral, and as a pure outside observer, I prefer the Vulcan's logic and culture, and they fall under the Federation. That was a very logical response, James. No wonder he wants to be. <laughs> Finally, we have John Hardy, 
who said, Federation for me. Its values make it one of the best places to live anywhere. It makes Earth countries pale in comparison, as all Earth's governments care about is money and power. Which kind of leads into my quantum state into flux. The economy of the Federation has always been a complete mystery. On one hand, it seems that money is not the primary motivation in the lives of Federation citizens, as humanity's philosophy is the betterment of oneself and others. On the other hand, we have seen the use of Federation credits from Starfleet officers buying goods at different planets and stations. How do Federation citizens earn these credits? And what if they want something from different alien economies? How does the Federation deal with other alien economies when they want to trade for something, mm -hmm. such as the Barzan wormhole? Mm. That really puts my quantum state in the flux, because there's a lot of points that show that the Federation doesn't use money in one way or the other, based on things that people have said and experienced. But on the other hand, it seems like they still use some kind of economy. Well, I think it's one of the issues that comes from here's the Gene Roddenberry. The whole reason is because the whole idea of the future being better. And one of the things is is that I've seen some people alert to this that his precepts on humanity are more community based and that everybody would have what they need. Right. That's basically pure Marxism or communism in one form or another, or socialism really. Mm -hmm. The problem with us not understanding it is that, as far as we know, there's never been a viable source or government on the Earth that has ever existed in that state. So you're saying we can't even conceive it because we've never experienced it, and mm -hmm. we don't have a form of reference. Mm -hmm. It's like ex explaining what people would call a god. Yeah, so it's it's one of those like little Star Trek things that has always bugged me. It's like the whole money versus no money. You know, we even saw when they went back in time, Kirk and company and... They didn't have money. Yeah, they didn't have money, and they were like, you know, they got kicked off the bus because they didn't have exact change. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. So, but on the other hand, I mean, they... Again, they use credits. There's yeah. some kind of Payment. system. In a society where everyone is for the betterment of themselves, how do people make these credits? How do they earn them? We but, see, I mean, we see rare instances where there are people and humans that are entrepreneurs, such as Cisco's dad, who owned a restaurant. Mm -hmm. But then again, are people paying for the food? Mm -hmm. Are they just walking in because he likes making food? Yeah. And he's making food for Everybody. people. For yeah, for anyone that wants to go in his restaurant, because mm -hmm. if you think about it, if you know, there's no starvation and people can get food anywhere, that means people are just choosing to go there instead of they need to go there for food. Mm -hmm. There's also the side that you bring up, and I like that you put it in here: Federation citizens as humanity's philosophy is betterment of oneself and others. But you just brought up your, your, your conundrum in this is that it has to be equal. But you just proved in what you said that it's oneself above others. Because you're trying to better yourself. You can't right. have both. Yeah, and that's the thing. Like, what what is really overriding? Is it are we trying to make all of humanity better, but through one person at a time? Like, it's just it's one of that confusing Star Trek things. That Aaron, what what do you think? If you can answer. <laughs> is he still well, yeah, I mean, we, we, we don't really see that much of civilian life, so we don't really know how day-to-day -day business goes, goes along. Yeah. We only see Starfleet. 
pretty much. Yeah, we don't see much outside of Starfleet in anything. There was one that one episode of Voyager where Harry Kim went mm-hmm. back into the past, and you know we saw kind of more of a civilian life. There were still like shops and like a storefronts and people moving about. I don't know how it works out. Right, because Beverly Crusher in uh, Encounter with Firepoint told the store clerk there to charge her account. Yeah, her account on the Enterprise. Then we have an original series episode where Spock is almost killed. Kirk goes, don't you realize how much Starfleet has invested in you? And Spock starts uh, saying a number. Which mm-hmm. is presumably the amount of his that his education cost, I would uh, assume. There's there's a lot of examples like that. Yeah. yeah. Here's the conundrum, though. In any situation, like for instance, you just brought up, why would you do it if it was basically free? What you're saying is everybody has access to everything they need, right? Theoretically. Yeah. If that's true, then there's no reason to use one or the other, like you said before. So there's no competition. There's nothing... I mean, the problem being is is that there's a driving force of why we go to one gas station or another. One is cheaper save than money. the other. Yeah. <laughs> there's no reason to do that. If there's no reason to do that, and it comes down to work, too. If there's no reason to work, okay, if everything is there anyways and you'll never do without, why would you work? You'd stay home all day. Uh, I don't know about that. I mean, some people, yes, but other people need to do something. There's no driving force to it. You may have to drive it yourself. But, yeah, Yeah. now the driving force is doing the best that you can do with whatever your skills and talents are. Mm -hmm. See, one of the things with Cisco's restaurant there, he uses real organic food as opposed to replicators. Because so, he thinks it tastes better. That's his right. craft. So, so that could be something that people value and would be willing to pay for instead of having replicated food. <laughs> we could have a whole episode on like the money <laughs> of Star Trek. Why do it if it's already there? That's the whole thing. Human nature, and they've even said this, is humans are by definition lazy. We try to make the most money by using the least effort so that you can make the most profit, right? For the most part, yeah. Okay. But in that, you're still trying to reduce the amount of effort. If you don't have a reason to have any effort... Like, what's your will to live? Yeah. The reason why I did well in school after going back so many times is because I wanted to get the degree. Not because I had to, but because I wanted to. But that's the driving force. Right. If it just I could cost get a money degree, to do yeah, it. Yeah, if I could get a degree. and Yeah, but the driving force was I wanted it, but also if I kept on screwing up, it would cost me more and more money, which takes more and more time for me to pay off and also means I can't get the other things in life I want. Exactly. If there's no driving force of that, you know, one or the other, it's always a choice, one or the other. Now you can have both. Man, my head hurts. Yeah. <laughs> and I think this is a good time to call it quits and close the subspace channels and and repair your flux yeah because now i'm even more fluxed than when i went into this (laughs) i'm so fluxed uh that is it for this episode of the starfleet escape podcast on the four eyed radio network radio 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 mexican whoa radio Uh, a long time coming this episode Yes, uh, we apologize for the delay. We had yeah, Aaron had to move. What a jerk! No, no, we had a lot of subspace errors to correct in the escape pod. 
But now we're back, and you can look forward to more episodes. Yeah. And on that note, micrometeor rights. Yeah. We we need we need to adjust our shields. That's <laughs> yes. what we need to do. Did he say he has asteroids? Mic micrometeorites. Oh. In his pants. I'm Eric. I'm Marty. And I'm Aaron. See you guys later and keep on trekking. It's trekking time. It's trekking time. Trekosaurus Rex. Go, go. You have been listening to the Starfleet Escape Podcast on the Four Eyed Radio Network, where you can catch a new episode every other Monday. You can find us on the web at sfescapepod.com. Follow us on Twitter at sfescapepod. Like us on facebook.com slash sfescapepod. And add us to your circle on Google Plus by going to google.sfescapepod.com. This has been a proud production of the Four Eyed Radio Network. Check out more shows on fouredradio.com. Beam me up, Scott.